Good morning. Welcome to River Community Church. My name is Sam. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to start with a story. Uh, I want to start with a story this morning. Uh, it's a fun one. Uh, it starts like this. The city was, was buzzing. The city was like electric. And people were just streaming in and streaming in from all across the country, all across the countryside. People were, were everywhere. And for, for this group of people, this was fantastic news. This was amazing news because it's just, it's just amazing, right? Like there's people flooding in left and right. And not only that, but, but this particular festival season, there was a little bit of extra buzz. There was a little bit of extra buzz because there was a guy that decided that he was going to show up this year of all years. And, and he strides into town, literally riding on this donkey's cold. And as he rides in, people are like screaming and excited and so glad that he's here. And, and they're laying their jackets down in front of the, the donkey. They're laying the palm branches. They're, they're singing out all kinds of stuff. It's exciting. Now, now, why is this a big deal? Well, this is a big deal because when there's drama like that, people come in droves. People are so excited to be here in Jerusalem at the temple. And you know what happens at the temple this time of year when it's Passover? You buy things. You change your money. You got to do some stuff. And as merchants, this group of people, they're so excited because this is when they make their bank for the whole year. And this year is better than ever. This year is better than ever. Before, you'd have to, to set up outside of the temple. You'd have to set up in, up in the courtyard. You had to set up out in the streets and in the vendors. But, but over the years, we've, they've, they've made this change, this shift, where they've gone from having to set up out there to finally being able to set up inside the temple itself. It's amazing. It's amazing. You can set up inside the temple, and you get to sell the doves for the sacrifice, and you get to change the money like right there, right by where they do it. You can make so much money. It's incredible. Just making bank. It's fantastic. So th this particular day, this particular day, everything is going great. People are, are striding on in there. They're buying doves. They're changing money. We're ripping them off. They're ripping them off for, for all kinds of good money, Right? And they're just counting the green in front of them or silver or gold or whatever it was in that day. And they get to this moment when it's just like looking ahead to the day and it's going to be amazing. And something happens. Something happens. This guy who rode in on a donkey's colt walks in. And as soon as he walks in, everybody gets real quiet because they know this guy's going to do something. And he does. He, he walks in, and he begins tipping over tables. And some people say he's got a whip, and he goes, Whoosh! And he begins to, to do this crazy, and everybody stops what they're doing. They look at what he's doing. The, the tables are flipping. The chairs are getting knocked over. The whip is going crazy. And it says this about it. It's in Matthew 21, 12 through 13. It says, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. 
And as those words, they, they rang out in the temple. A den of thieves, you can hear it raining. That's when they knew. That's when the merchants, the money changers, the people buying and selling, that's when they knew. When the, when the priests and the people that work at the temple, that's when they knew too. This moment, this moment was the beginning of the end of Jesus. Or so they thought. Can I have my chair back now? <laughs> as we talk about conquering darkness in this season, as we talk about going through this together and how, how we can see how Jesus conquered darkness and as we think about how we can also conquer it too with his help, this is the scene in the Bible that I just can't get out of my head. There's something about it. There's something amazing about this scene. It's the, the turning over the tables, the whoosh. I've been saying that all week. Whoosh. <laughs> the cracking of the whip. It's the passion for keeping this temple holy and special and important. It's this righteous kind of justice that all of us want and desire to have in our lives. We want what he's doing there. It, it's a passion. It's an almost violence that we kind of sort of admire because it's vindicating and it's all in the name of keeping something holy. A temple. The temple was the holiest place on the planet in the view of the Jewish people. That was the place where you went for a holy experience, to be with God, to be near God. That's where heaven and earth collide, in the temple. So this is a place for, for holiness. And I'm wondering this morning, have you ever had that kind of an experience? that kind of an experience where it's just a holy moment. Like, like when the bride walks down the aisle. Or when you climb to the top of a mountain and you get to the crest and you very suddenly see the entire horizon stretch out in front of you. And it takes your breath away. And you don't want to leave it. So when someone lifts a glass and says the most sweet and good and meaningful words to toast someone, and everybody clinks their glasses together. It's, it's the cry, the wail of a brand new baby. It's when you're out in a concert and everybody knows the words and the band steps back from the microphones and everybody's singing out all at once and you hear all the voices and a chill goes down your spine. It's holy. It's a holy moment. For my wife, Meg, and I, uh, last summer, for our anniversary, we went down to Chicago for a night or two. And uh, while we were there, one of the things we did was we went to uh, uh, the art museum, because it's kind of fun, right? You're exploring all the different museums and stuff, and she's really into art. She's studied it for a while, so it was really fun to go to an art museum together. And while we were there, there was this exhibit, it was just incredible. I, I can't describe it, because if I try and do it, it's just going to take away from it. But there was this particular exhibit that we walked into, and the, the pieces of art were huge. And you walk up to them, and you stare at them, and there are so many layers and so many pieces to it that you just, like, are shocked by it. 
Like it's a little bit disturbing, a little bit amazing, and all together like this, this moment that you have. So we walk through this art exhibit. We're like floored by it. It's amazing. We walk throughout the whole museum. It's just art, right? It's amazing. So there's all kinds of different things that you think are cool. Some things like, yeah, it's kind of lame. Other things are just incredible, right? And so you have this experience. It's almost holy, right? There's this thing that, that shocks you and, and stuns you in some way. And then at the very end of the time, we finish out our time at the art museum and we make the holy pilgrimage all the way to buy trinkets at the gift shop. <laughs> have you had this experience? I have had this experience. And let me tell you, nothing ruins a holy moment like a trip to the gift shop. Because you go there and you feel like, I've got to hold on to this moment. It was amazing. What an incredible thing I just saw. I have to get something to remember it by. So you leave with a keychain. And, or, or you leave with a mug with the, the painting plastered over the side of it. And it's like incredible, except it, you leave and five months later you throw it out because you never use it. And you're kind of like, oh, that wasn't so great, was it? Nothing ruins, nothing diminishes a holy moment more, in my opinion, than a gift, to the, a trip to the gift shop. It's just my opinion. Maybe for you, you love that, you hold on to it, keepsakes, great for you. For me, not so much. When Jesus walked into the temple that day, when he walked into the temple that day, he was setting out to keep it holy. It was to keep it holy. Because it was meant to be the holiest of holy places. It was designed to be the house for his father. It was designed to be the place where people met God, where they were supposed to be there and be in his presence, where heaven and earth met in this, this representative way. Jesus was not going to allow that to be distorted, especially by a, a bunch of merchants and thieves because they were ripping people off. Sometimes. In some moments, to conquer evil, you have to confront it head on. But where do you begin? Where do you begin? I mean, I was talking with somebody earlier this morning, and you click on the news, and you see wars and disease and, and injustices all over the place, and you just want to turn it off because it's so big, it's so overwhelming. How can you even confront it in even the smallest way? I mean, there are little things we can do. That's great. We should, right? There are good things that you can do, but it's hard to make a dent and feel like it. So, so what about the things that feel a little bit closer, closer to home? like the thieves and the hypocrites of our day. Like when you go to the movie theater and it's $30 a person and you have five, three kids and your spouse and it's $150 plus, plus the popcorn. Have you had that experience too? I'm so grateful for the $5 movies in downtown Ripon. It's an amazing thing. <laughs> but for real, what about the evil that feels closer? You know what I'm talking about. The people who do very little work, but always seem to get their way at the office. The so-called friends who are really just looking out for themselves. The uh, insurance company that gives you the, the go-around over and over and over again. It's so frustrating. Or, or maybe it's the, the family members who, who you feel like are just about take-take-taking. Wouldn't it be nice? Like, wouldn't it be nice to just get the whip out, right? <laughs> Which I'm getting, don't do it. 
or to flip over some tables, right, to make a ruckus. I mean, certainly Jesus, with his cleansing of the temple, has to be some kind of permission for us to do our own little bit of righteous cleaning of house. I mean, at the very least, it's a really fiery email or some really loud and condemning post on Facebook, right? Or a really loud condemnation, like, you are wrong, and walk out and storm out. And as I've had that thought all week, I, I have to admit to you guys, I have definitely played it out in my head, okay? And it probably seems wrong as a pastor, so I apologize. Please forgive me, God. But there is definitely those moments where you think in your head, that would just feel so good. And like you play the words over in your head. Like if I were to say this and they were to hear it, it would just make them melt. I could put them in their place. And it feels really good to think about for a minute. Except, as I've thought about it, there are these words from Jesus that it's hard to get out of my head. Because he says this. He says, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now maybe this morning you're like me. And you're thinking to yourself, but Jesus, you did it, right? Like you did it. You flipped over the tables. You cracked the whip. You put them in their place. Why can't I? Why can't I? It's interesting. Uh, Jesus, he hardly ever, never really uses violence. I mean, he's rarely as forceful or as passionate as he is in the temple. Why is that? Why is that? In John, it's recorded, this is, it actually comes earlier in John, um, and in John, it's recorded, it says this. It's John 2, 17, it says, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal, that's an old word, right? It's one you don't hear very often. But it means passion, passion. Passion for whose house? God's. Passion for Jesus' father's house, which by extension is passion for his very own house, Jesus' own house. Jesus was confronting darkness. He was confronting evil in his own house. How about you? And I'm not talking about your spouse or your kids. Maybe that's where your thoughts went first. I'm talking about in your own house, right here, inside of you, inside of yourself. How about you? Have you confronted evil here yet? And John talks about what happens next. It's in John chapter 2, 18 through 21. It says, but the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? 
If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed. It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. You see, when when Jesus walked into the temple, he was confronting evil at its most ugly source, the distortion of people's relationship with God. People were unjustly profiting from people's need to stay right with God. They'd make a sacrifice and that would be a relieving of their sins, a payment for their sins, and they'd be right with God. So they were unjustly and in a really devious way profiting from that exchange. And when he shook the foundation of that evil thing, when he turned over the tables, when he cracked the whip, it lashed out. That evil thing lashed out. Evil has a way of, of doing that, doesn't it? Like you, you push on evil and it pushes right back. Pushes right back. When you confront it for what it is, evil lashes out. It was provoked and it lashed out at Jesus. It was the final straw that led to the cross. Instead of fighting back, what does Jesus do? Jesus takes that evil and it's lashing out and he holds it and he carries it and he walks up a hill with a cross on his back and he does it in. And by doing so, Jesus, who had lived a perfect life and doesn't deserve death, was worthy of life. By the power of God, Jesus conquers death and sin by taking it on within himself. Conquering darkness requires confronting it, and the first step toward confronting darkness is confronting it inside of ourselves. Jesus shows us how to do that. He gives us an example. Jesus gives us the power to do that. He says you can die to yourself and be raised to new life through Jesus himself. In Galatians, Paul describes it this way. He says in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And then Paul, Peter says it this way. In Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he says, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Conquering darkness in our own life doesn't simply happen by condemning the evil things in our life. We could sit here all day and condemn, 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 and it's really not going to change a whole lot. Conquering darkness happens through a relationship. It's a relationship with someone who wants and calls us out to a better life and then changes us. For example, uh, you can make a law that says you have to drive at the most 55 miles per hour down the highway and everyone will drive 60 or more. You can have a baby 
and loaded into the car seat at the hospital. And on that first trip home, you won't go more than 25. (laughs) Relationships change everything. Relationships change everything. I grew up in in church, and and I remember hearing phrases like this, like, just give it to Jesus, just hand it over to him, or you have to be born again, or you've got to die to yourself, or put off the old self, put on the new self, or or, Jesus, take the wheel. That one might be a country song. (laughs) But, But we're a church, right? We're a church that does our best to represent Jesus well, to RJ Dub, as we say. We we cannot do that without first confronting the darkness in ourselves as strongly and as forcefully as Jesus confronted it in that temple. We can only do that well through a relationship with Jesus. We can do that by accepting the gift that he offers us, the gift of of forgiveness and new life, the payment for the sins, the, the new freedom that we can live through him, the ability to nail the dark, sinful corners of ourselves to the cross, giving them to Jesus, asking Jesus to give us new ways of living, letting Jesus take the wheel and lead our lives. When we trust Jesus, he's the perfect sacrifice that makes us right with God. More and and more over time, too. Not only does he make that so that we can immediately know that we will spend eternity with God in heaven, but over our lifetime, we get to be drawn more and more closer to him and be refined more and more and let more of those things hang on the cross instead of inside of our lives. How? How do we do that? Well, like the verses say, by nailing them to the cross. And most of the time when we say by nailing them to the cross, we mean kind of figuratively, like, yeah, you got to nail that to the cross in your life, but not today, guys. Today we mean it literally. There's, there's two crosses here on both sides. And there's hammers and nails that are there. And I know this is a weird thing to do, maybe. Maybe it makes you feel a little uncomfortable to st- stand up and walk out of your seat and go and nail something to the cross. But, but here's the thing. This is not a time of, of sulking, of feeling bad about yourself, of thinking of the things that you have to put there. This is a time of saying, God, I trust you. And I've got this thing. I've got this thing I've been hanging on to for a whole lot of my life, Maybe it's just come on recently, or maybe it's been there for forever, and God, I am sick and tired of carrying it. I need you to. I need you to take this thing away from me. So I'm going to write it down on a piece of paper, and you have them in front of you. Uh, There should be some extra ones in back if you're sitting in front here. Um, But there's a piece of paper and, and a pen. And I want you to write it down. What is that thing that has just been pulling you from me? And I was challenged on this this week. Uh... I have this desire to impress people. And I was challenged this week that that's kind of like, that seems light and no big deal. But I realized that that person doesn't, doesn't struggle with that as much. For me, that's been the cause of some of the most awful and uncomfortable moments in my life. Because I chose to impress other people rather than follow what God wants or rather than take care of my family, or rather than take care of my wife. 
So the desire to be good in other people's eyes, for me, it, it has led to some of the ugliest days of my life. So for me, when I write that down, I, I mean that. I want, I want to free that for you. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Whatever that thing is that has been stealing life from you, whatever that sinful, ugly thing is inside of you, take a moment, write it down, and we're literally going to put them on the cross. And I'll do it first. I'm going to write down the desire to impress people. For you, it might be addiction. For you, it could be the paralyzing fear for the future. It makes it so you can't trust. It could be outbursts of anger. The things just make you rile up right away. It could be selfishness or envy. Nothing's ever enough. You always are comparing yourself to others, whatever it is for you. And, and what I want you to know is, is you can fold these if you want to. And we're going to not like use these later. These are gonna, we're going to burn them, okay? We're going to get rid of them. So you won't have to worry about this coming back anytime. This is just between you and God. As we finish up here, and you can keep hammering or go up still during this next little bit, I, I want to be really clear This is an incredibly joyful moment. It's hard sometimes, right? Like you've got these things that you've been hanging on to and it makes you feel certain ugly things or uncomfortable things. But there is a releasing and a letting go that does something powerful inside of us. It's it's what God says when he says through What I've done in you, I've redeemed you. I've made you right. Jesus is the sacrifice that the doves couldn't even touch. The one that literally makes us new and right. And yeah, we'll fall. Yeah, we'll make mistakes in the future. But he has made you right. He has made you redeemed. And you have a future with him. A future that starts now and can develop and grow each and every day into the future. And that is incredible news. On your way out, we have some nails a little chunkier for you, (laughs) more than a trinket, right? And I want you to take that with you. Grab one of those, and that'll be a reminder that that nail is, is on that cross. And that thing that you're letting go of, you don't have to carry it anymore. And you are free from it. In a moment, we're gonna sing the song Redeemed, and I want you to sing it with all you got. But let's finish right now with a prayer. Dear God, thank you for your love. Thank you for the powerful thing you did on the cross. Thank you for turning over tables. God, we ask that in our own lives that you would turn over those tables. That you would do the thing that shows us that we are made right by you, not by holding on to those things that have been weighing on us, but letting them go and giving them to you and asking you to change us and transform us into who you want us to be. God, we are so grateful for who you are and what you do inside of us. We love you and we cannot wait to celebrate with you and celebrate Easter and just to claim the truth of your victory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.